Yo, my name is Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to What It Happened Was Season 3, Episode 5. Thanks again for all of the support so far. Um, awesome to see the response to last week's brand Nubian One for All episode. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please like, rate, review, and generally speak positively of us to your friends, family, and uh, brothers in arms. I don't know. Is that only for the military? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, like, rate, and review to uh, improve our standing with the algorithm to make the robots love us. Shouts to Jake Bowman, who does our wonderful editing. I want to give him a special shout out. This show is a lot of work. Um, all of the audio drops that we put in, um, all the different moving parts of the episode. It takes a lot of Mr. Bowman's time, so I want to shout him out. Shout out to Will Hagel, who does all of our video editing, because that also takes a lot of work. Um, we have a lot of clips of what had happened was over on YouTube. Stony Island Audio has an entire YouTube account and a page with clips from this show, clips from The Raw Report with Dice Raw. Um, we're a pretty sizable podcast network with hip hop flavored programming. Uh, just creative folks in general making shows, speaking about what they do and how they do it. So if you're a, if you're a YouTube user, go check us out. Tell your friends, especially your friends who listen to messy shit on DJ Vlad. We have a, a much better brand of hip hop talk. <laughs> most of the time actually we talk we talk a fair amount of shit ourselves speaking of stony island audio we have a newish show it's new ish because it was a live show for a long time and it's by one of our hosts sean kanfrowitz who was previously doing a show with us called can't knock the shuffle an excellent interview show he's returning with the podcast version of a live show he does and that show is called the questions Are you a rap nerd? Would you say you know a good deal of hip-hop trivia? Think you know more than, say, UGK member and hip-hop legend Bun B? Run the Jewels takes their name from an ad-lib on a song by this rapper. Was it OC, Jizza, LL Cool J, or Run DMC? Wow, that is a good question. And I'm trying to think in the lexicon of these different MCs who would say something like Run the Jewels. It seems like an LL thing. Like, Jizzle would speak about jewels, but it wouldn't be jewelry. Run DMC, I don't think they really talked about running the jewels or anything like that. It could be an OC thing, but I feel like this line would have stuck out a lot more if it was OC. So I'm going to go with LL. Yeah. Run the jewels, LL Cool J is correct. The Questions Hip Hop is the world's best hip hop trivia show in which the genre's biggest fans test their rap trivia skills, discuss their careers, and talk about how hip hop changed their lives with me, your host, Sean Kantrowitz. Guests like Just Blaze, Questlove, Russell Peters, Warren G, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, and many more. The Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast on Stony Island Audio. That's the questions. I was on the questions, too. I know a lot of hip-hop stuff. I had a really high score, and I think uh, Murs knocked me off, and I was mad about it, or Skills, or somebody. It was fun. 
that show's fun. It's fun live, and the podcast version is fun, so check it out. But enough about that podcast. This is what it happened was. In this episode, we pick up with Dante after the release of the first album by Brand Nubian. And the trend you'll start to see is that uh, groups Dante Ross works with tend to break the fuck up. And uh, that's what happened here, resulting in a solo album by Grand Poobah called Real to Real and Brand Nubian's second album, Poobah Less, which was called In God We Trust. Who fared better? You'll find out before we get into this episode. Wanted to say a quick rest in peace to longtime Grand Poo by DJ Stud Doogie. Rest in peace to Stud Doogie. He passed away shortly after we recorded this episode. His name comes up in it. So definitely wanted to um, hold a little space for the passing of the OG Stud Doogie. I would like to dedicate this episode to my man Stud Doogie. Rest in peace, my brother. But let's get into it. This is season three, episode five. Of what had happened was the breakup of Brand Nubian. Guy we trust, real to real. Welcome, man. This is Open Mike Eagle. This is season three of what had happened was, y'all. We got another very special guest with us. He needs no introduction, but... If you ever read the line of notes on classics from all kind of folks, you know who knew where to find the dope. It's Dante serving stories like entrees. I guess for season three, it's a giant like Andre. Mr. No Shit Taker, the third base hit maker. Aganar Innovator, the ODB Motivator. He signed a roster full of heavy hitters. Office Messenger, the Grammy winner. Motherfucker Dante Ross. In the 90s, you would call him the plug. Signing act after dope act. He saw in the clubs as Pete Seagull leaders dealing all the above. If you don't know him, don't call him a scrub. It's what it happened was. What up, what up, what up, folks? This is Open Mike Eagle, and this is what it happened was again. And we are fortunate enough to be chilling with the man, the, the OG himself. Dante Ross, what's cracking, sir? Chilling, man. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Just before we started taping, man, we started talking about um, the passing of Gift of Gab, which we all learned about today. And, um, you know, just another uh, fallen soldier, man. And, and they seem to be coming uh, in pretty rapid succession. Man, you know, you get to this age, people just, you know, some people just don't make it to the journey, man. It's a long one. And- crazy how many people passed the last few years it really is you know and it's the kind of thing that you know he's he just turned 50 i yeah, believe he's so 50 years old. Dude so from, it's one of those do from under the stairs people from under the stairs homeboy passed too yeah double k yeah double k it's funny yeah. i didn't really listen to that group till till after the fact and then i tuned in to him and i was like god damn they were dope they were making really, really yeah, they dope made really music. cool music. It was like different. Yeah. And and I had met them before and they were super nice. But I, I hadn't really tuned into the music and, and um, I tuned into it after the fact. And I was bummed out that I never um I never got to tell dudes I thought they were dope. It's so hard to stay in tune with all the underground stuff all over the country, man. It's just so difficult. Like it's like always like if you know, you know, but you know, it it does it does suck when somebody passes before you get a chance to fully like dive in and connect. Yeah, I listened to Black Alicious. They I was I was very cognizant of them. I always liked all the quantum stuff. So I um 
I like Swan Lake and all that stuff a lot. So yeah. That shit was dope. Slitting on top of the bay, watching the tide. It's time to break the tension away. Come take a ride as you enter the dimension of the crew so size that ain't nothing going on but a party. Now, he was a really good rapper. He was really good live. He was a dope writer, too. Like, yeah. just the way he would put themes together for songs and, like, how deep he would take them and how conversational. And I don't know, man. I thought he was, he was really, like, one of our, you know, just, just one of our best writers in addition to being a really dope rapper on a technical tip. Yeah, he you was know? dope, man. His whole shit. Their, their records were good. That Nia record is really fucking good. Incredible stuff. We're here today. Uh, last we left off, we talked about uh, One For All, Brand Nubian's uh-huh. debut album that you, you know, the first group you signed ended up being kind of a slow burn success yeah. uh, now that you're rocking with Elektra. Yeah. Um, how did the, uh, you know, first question along those lines is how was the label perceiving the group after that slow burn success happened? Uh, reluctantly um, happy. So the group never endeared itself to several members of the urban staff mm. um, and the generational disconnect between, you know, some young 5% brothers and some dudes who, who wore mink coats was, was, <laughs> was tangible. And ironically, and I always think this is funny about rap music at this time period and even before, um, a bunch of the white younger people who worked in the publicity department specifically uh, love brand Nubian and vice versa. So it was it was always interesting that kind of the younger hip people who who um, a lot of them were white. There was a few a few people of color like in the promo staff, the rap team. My man uh, Mike um, Ali's cousin, Mike Jones, but um, Ali Shahid's cousin. But but outside of the immediate people, the OGs didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the brand Nubians, and the brand Nubians um, didn't make it easy on them. They roasted a few of them dudes. You know, I see. So it was, it was, um, you know, and, and I think that within the context of major labels and and um, black culture in general, there was there was a changing of the guard, right? Mm-hmm. You know, dudes, dudes would rather go on the road with Howard Hewitt than uh, than brand Nubians. Wow! Right, right, right. Because yeah, because you know the R and B thing is really popping at that point, right. and people on the business side definitely see that as a safer route. They don't have to deal with a lot of the politics stuff and the controversy and all of that. You know, brand Nubians, they were like outspoken and, you know, they were kind right. of they were kind of dangerous, you know, like yeah. for lack of a better word. And, and that was kind of what was so good about them. So after, you know, you had a rocky start with the first act you signed to Electra. Yeah, yeah, that was a fiasco. So now that this one's a success, how was the label looking at you at that point? Uh, they, they started giving me some, you know, it started to change around and, and it coincided with Pop Goes the Weasel being the top 10 hit, kind of, so. I see. So I had a hit record and I had a, a, a sleeper hit at the label and I signed leaders of the new school and they started being kind of popping. So, you know, it was, it was starting to percolate, you know, starting to feel good. So as this success happens and very soon after Brand Nubian breaks up, like how is the label looking at the split? Are they just trying to ride with Puba Solo? Are they still believing that the group can be successful? Well, so the label, it's funny, man. The label wasn't that um, connected to to what was really going on. They just knew the numbers. Mm. They didn't really know much about the intricacies of the group. I think it was all right. 
all, all came through my lens. So I see. So you know, I mean, we knew we had some with Puba. He was obviously very popular. So we we knew we had something there. And and um, I don't think. See, I think if the label had been more connected to what was going on, they might not have let me roll the dice on the brand Nubian record. But um, right. but you know, it kind of my boss at the time, Bob Krasnow, he. He trusted me, man. He kind of was one of them guys like, here's enough rope. Like, you know, hang yourself or, or you know, lasso the, the, the bull by its horns. Like, he was one of mm-hmm. those kind of guys. He believed in his A&R guys, and he believed in me. So he let me, he let me make the, sh- the call. I made the calls, and, and I guess they were the right calls, luckily. So was the Poobah deal transitioning to a solo deal? Was that an easy deal to make? It was easy because we, we had the leaving member clause. We had an option clause. Oh, okay. We had them okay. signed for five to seven albums. So wow. If you, you know, everyone signed the five albums to a major at that point. I don't know if it was seven, but it was definitely five. So it just went into the pot of the five records they owed us. So mm-hmm. um, it was easy. It was in place. And I think we, I think we finagled the advance a little bit, gave them a little more money. And we were off to the races. He was managed by Lior and, and Chris Lighty at that time. So, you know, it was, right. um, he was relatively unmanageable, but, but um, they, <laughs> they managed him. I mean, he just didn't show up for a lot of shit. So how does that work if you're managed by Lior and you're managed by uh, Chris Lighty? So that's two different companies too, no, right? No, it's the same company. They were, they were okay. Rush Management. Um, I see. And, and, you know, Chris obviously had the violators, but that was like yeah. under Rush Management. And Chris, oh, and, and Chris okay. did the day-to-day. It wasn't Lior very much. So, you know, and actually before Chris was fully in there, was this guy named, this is crazy when I think about it, this guy named Big D, D. Jordan. And he and his son, uh, his son specifically, I think it was the guy who was convicted for killing or the guy charged with killing Jam Master J. Oh, and D. okay. Jordan so this was, goes D, deep. D. Jordan was Big D. And I knew him from the Run DMC days. He was Run DMC's road manager. Um, I always got along with him. I never had a problem with him. But but he was incapable of getting Poobah to do anything. So, Real to Real, Poobah's solo album comes out in 92. Yep. A lot of the album is credited to Pooba for production. He did a bunch of it. I did a bunch of it. Me and my partners and a couple other cats. You know, one thing I noticed in my career as a rapper and a rap fan is that when I look at the credits and like the rapper made the beat, I find that usually that means like the beat is kind of like a simple loop. Like it's usually not too complicated yeah. when, a, when a rapper makes the beats. Yeah, you know, I really think Pooba was, um, I think he shortchanged himself a little bit. I think there was a lot mm. of people who wanted to work with him. Uh, Minnesota had a song we didn't use because it leaked. That was super dope. I mean, there was an endless list of people who wanted to work with them from Q-Tip to, to Mugs to, you know, I mean, everybody wanted to work with them, 45 King. And he just was pretty intent on doing a lot of stuff himself. And he's a, he's a good producer. He, you know, he, he had a song with Mace we didn't get to clear. That was mm. super dope. It was off Black Cow and we couldn't clear that shit. Um, and uh, Steely, Steely Dan's yeah, Blackout. Uh, Max okay. Mace is mad at me to this day. Me and Pastas with Mace, and he was like, "Yo, remember that song that the the, the joint, the Black Cow joint that Pooba had with Mace?" I was like, "Yo, I was like, I said it to Pastas. Pastas was like, "Yo, watch, Mace will still be mad about it." This was like a couple of years ago. <laughs> at South by Southwest, and he was like, "Yo, Mace, remember?" He was like, "Yo, man, how come he was still mad about it?" Um, and I think it would have been a hilarious. hit. Actually, it was really dope. Um, but but that said, he really was. Um, a little lazy with, with the beats. Like he, he, 
I guess his arrogance kind of got to him. He's a pretty arrogant guy. And I think, you know, look, he, he also had, um, we had a record on that first brand Nubian record we never could finish because Pete couldn't find the discs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Pooba Maxwell, yes, sir, honey, with Sadat X and, and Pooba over Pete Rock beat that was murder. We never used it. And, and Pooba was kind of like, you know, however it was going to be, it was going to be. He didn't have a whole lot of control mm-hmm. over what was going to happen. And I think the reason me and my guys got beats on there is because I was just around them a lot. And I was right. like, you know, yeah, I got this, I got that. And he was like, all right, let's go. But it was proximity. I don't think it was because it was proximity because he was so lazy. He didn't really want to sit with dudes and listen to beats and have to deal with people. I see. And, right. and, and I think some of it had to do with money, too. I think he wanted to, he didn't want to pay nobody. You know, right, he didn't want to share like producer money with other right. people. Basically. Well, he doesn't he pay himself to produce his own records, but he just didn't, he's one of those guys who don't like to pay people. Gotcha. It was always hard to get paid by Max. So ultimately, the album does end up sounding kind of like underproduced because it's a lot of like loop based stuff. I, for I him believe just, it was just, underproduced. But the the flip side of that is you got a song like 360, yep. uh, what goes around. It just sounds like the perfect kind of Grand Poobah song. And, you know, that song, that mix is the rough mix. Homeboy Anton Pachansky, the engineer, played bass on it. There's really no music on it. It's just Anton playing right. live bass. Um, and that's the whole song. And that mix was the yeah. mix we did that day, and that became the mix. Here comes the Poobah, and you know I won't fake it. Usually bust records on getting butt naked. Made for the Benzie. Wow. Was there any conversation about getting a different mix or we was just like everybody was like, this is it, this is good. I think I think we mixed it another time. It just didn't sound as cool. What do you think it is about that song that that feels like so perfectly natural for Pooh? It's like a happy song. Yeah. You know, he just riding the beat really well. And you know, it's like tramp, it's classic to rap over, you know. I mean, he sounded mm-hmm. good on it. It was a good ass song. But once again, the hook is just like him cutting in a Gladys Knight record like and he he seemed a little allergic to hooks. Like he just was like uh. a little lazy with shit. You know, he was kind of lazy, man. Like I, I love Max, but but if he had really dug in deep, like he could, you know, he could have been one of the biggest. Right. You know. Uh Mary J Blige is on the second single, check it out. You like that song? I thought the song was interesting. I didn't necessarily think it was like a great song, but I thought it was dope how like it was like a rap song kind of mixed with an R&B song at that time. Yeah. I thought that song was eh, like it it, <laughs> it should have been good. It should have been great. And the fact that, you know, he wrote What's the 411. I don't know if anyone knows that. He produced See, it that's, too. Right. That's the, that's the, I've always heard that there's connection between well, he Kuba wrote, he and, wrote and Mary that, J. Blige. And he, he really produced it, even though I think they gave Tony Dofat credit. But I believe Poobah really did it. You know, like he should have like dug deep and got a killer song with her. Like, why didn't he get a mm-hmm. Method Man like song, right? right. He right. didn't. Right. And that, that's, um, I firmly put that on Poobah. Like, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't trying. He thought, he thought he had everything locked, like he could do anything and, and no matter what, people are going to fuck with it. And that's really not mm. the case. Like a lot of people like close to me were like, yo, the, the album's just, it's good. It's not great. Like, you know, and that's how I felt about it. You're credited, uh, or Stimulated Dummies is credited yep. producer on Honey Don't Front. We did Honey uh, Don't Front. We did Lick Shot. Mm-hmm. I did a joint that he didn't put on the record, Mind Your Business, became a B-side. 
That was the Sarah Smile record. I remixed it. I just threw a, a loop and chopped drums up behind it. And I remember him calling me. I think I said this in the last one from, they were going down to Howard. He was like, yo, I just played the record for everyone in the car. Yo, we, I want to throw it on the album. I was like, yo, I was already mastered, dude. Like, mm. missed. The first time I hit the wax, it was the news of my block. Everybody in my neighborhood said, who but don't stop. It was a four-man crew, Don Barron. I think I, I might have done another song in there. I can't remember. I think I know I did those two. So we'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, Distro Kid. Man, so many of my homies use Distro Kid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. Is there a difference between like stimulated dummies and SD50? Is that the same thing? Same thing. thing. Same thing. SD was our, our studio number was, was 50 um, in the basement and SD was stimulated dummies and Buster gave us that name. So... Buster was in the studio with us all. We were all stoned out, and he called us stimulated dummies. He's like, y'all a bunch <laughs> of stimulated dummies. And we just ran with it. My man, Gibi loved that name. And he was um, he's a really good artist, Gibi. Everywhere we go, he would do crazy drawings, like SD, like shit in studios. So you would go to any studio in New York at that time, and there would probably be an a SD little piece or something somewhere. So Damn. For those who didn't hear the last episode, um, I think you touched on the story of Latif. Yeah. producing Soul Controller and him getting that credit. Yeah, he, he didn't know Soul Controller and Max was taking the credit and Latif had called me and, and uh, I straightened the credits out. But yeah, you know, that happened a lot with Max. Like, you never really knew who did what. But the Latif situation was kind of deep because he was associated with, was it Zulu? I think, no, no. Um, LG was... was Oh, LG, okay. LG, who um, produced uh, Pooh Bop and LG and Who Can Get Busy Like This Man. Oh, right, so he, on the first, was on the first dude, Nubian but record. Latif was, you know, that was my man. I know him from, for digging for, you know, from digging for records. And, and the irony is Soul Controller, Latif was also righteous and Pooh Bop is trying to steal credit um, on a song that's calling out the devil from another righteous man. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, the contradictions were endless, you know? And that song was 
That song is fire. That beat was crazy. The Eddie- and it's dope, too, because like in a lot of the album, right, Poobah's kind of, you know, just barring out. And it's very impressive. Like, it's, it's dope rhymes. But like, this, this is like one of the few songs on the record that actually seems like it's about something. Like, it has a, a, a premise. We're going to drop a little something like this, you know what I'm saying? How we feel on the real Check it, show. Uh-huh. Who tells you when to work? Who tells you when you get a day off? The devil. Well, who gives you your pay? Damn devil. And who takes it away? The devil. You know, Poobah was weird because, like, you know, he was, one minute he was righteous Poobah, and the next minute he was talking about hitting skins. And right, um, right. I think the balance was better on Brand Nubian than it was on Real to Real. I was, like, with Poobah, I was kind of just over him, man, at that point. Like, he just put me through it. So right. I did I did the remix on 360 as well. We, you know, my crew did that. We did Honey Don't Front, we did Lick Shot. I think that's all we did. Yeah, those are all we did. You know, there was some there was some songs on there I thought could have hit the road. I didn't really care for a couple of them. I mean, he had proper education. He was talking about about some stuff, but mm-hmm. he he um I feel like he phoned part of it in and and that that method of working continued up, you know, 2000 is like apparent. He did the same thing. Mm. Uh, who is Stud Doogie exactly? That's his man, Ron Stud. I was like his DJ, his like flunky, his right hand man. He's super fun, good dude. Um, that's Stud Doogie. He DJ for him, so he would have two DJs sometimes, Alamo and and Stud Doogie. And the thing about Poobai is, as confident as he tries to come across and arrogant, he's really self conscious. So he wants as many people around him as possible. That's why he's always wearing sunglasses and. A multi why you know, he just like he was a guy who I always felt was really scared of, to be successful. Because if you're mm. successful, then you gotta try to be successful again. So, you know, and he 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 has in interviews tried to blame the label for for the album not being better or bigger, but but it firmly rests on his shoulders. Uh the song Back It Up has Kid Capri on it. Yep. Easy and back Kid Capri it up. is rhyming. And it sounds like Poobah probably wrote Capri's rhyme he, too. He certainly did, and Kid Capri um, made the beat. Now dig it. Here's the kid, never did a bid, never hit skid. Check out the shit I did. Live in the Bronx, born in Brooklyn, chilled in Manhattan, never got my shit took in. I'm and they made it just, they were hanging out and they made it. And um, it's probably how I met Kid Capri, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, that song was cool. It was, you know, it sounded like a party record. It could have been better. Uh, other thing is, Fubai never liked to mix records very much. He was always very lackadaisical when it came to the mix. So the fascinating thing to me about that song is Puba, uh has been a part of two groups at this point, Master of Ceremony right. and Brand Nubian. He does this album and literally, like for the most part, has no features on it. Right. Like it's just him rapping on every song right. except for the song where he has a DJ right, rapping right, right, with right. him. Um, was was there any conversation around that at the time, or was it just something he was just like, I'm just going to go for it? I mean, not really, man. You know, the thing with Max is you can't really, you know, my influence was minimal. Like, he doesn't really do anything he says he's going to do. And if you suggest something, 90% of the time he's going to shoot it down just cause. <laughs> um, he, you know, he cuts off his nose to spite his face a lot. And that was on that album. That's kind of what happened. You know, mm-hmm. and I always told him, like, you... You don't got to quit the brand Nubians to be a solo act, but he didn't want to hear it. Right. You know, and, and he should have had features from a lot of people, and he didn't. Because he was a feature man. He did a lot right. of features, so it was ironic. And, you know, like, there's a, there was a lot of Max in early Puff. Like, Puff took a lot of swag and a lot of ideas and lessons from him. Because 
Max had this girl, um, he had a song on the first Brand Nubian record that later on came out in a, in a bastardized version, but it was um, Where Is Poobah, and it was off the Lafayette Afro Rock drums. And of course, Mary used those for her album. And I always felt like the formula, part of the formula for Mary's success came from Max, and Max right. was a bit under-acknowledged. And, and Puff and Max were really cool, and then, then they weren't. I don't really know what happened. I think, I think Max felt like he got jacked for some swag, and I think that, mm-hmm. that um, Puff was like, I got eight other dudes who could do what Max does, so I ain't gonna, I'm not going to slow down for Max not to show up. But Max right. should have been riding down that whole wave, and he wasn't. He kind of removed himself from it and to his, to, his own, um, to his own discredit, to his own lack of success. So, you know, Max could have, should have, would have. And, and he's had a good career, but he could have had a Hall of Fame career, and he didn't. And, and that all is his own fault. So speaking of him, you know, leaving situations, how do you think Brand Nubian changed after Poobah left? They got more militant. The music was harder. It wasn't as playful. It wasn't rapping about skins. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, it was definitely harder. It definitely was more street. I would say a sense of melody was lost. They weren't mm. as melodic or musical. Um, but, but that worked to their credit, I think. It, it also differentiated them more from, from Puba. Got you. So X and Jamar, before their album comes out, they feature on Low End Theory. Right. And Max was supposed to be on that too, but he didn't show up. Whoa, okay, so that wasn't like a thing that was done on purpose. He was supposed to be part of that there was a song. There was a song done before it called Georgie that didn't come out, and it was from off Georgie Porgy, I believe, and then they did the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original version of what became the business, Georgie, was um, Max was That's on so it. That's so interesting. So was that scene as a big look at the time for them to be on that album? It, it was a look. I don't know about a big look because it wasn't a. It was, I think, the last song on the album. It was definitely near the end. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a super heralded song, but you know, it showed that um, that Tip was fucking with them with or without Puba, and and Diamond always fuck with Sadat. Diamond and X is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, on some Bronx shit. So, you know, it was cool. It was like a, a sign, a stamp of approval. So, and God We Trust comes out in 93. Right. While they were making this record, were they paying attention to what was happening with Poobah's music? A hundred percent. It was like a scorecard, a battle. Like, they were definitely highly competitive. Where Max was too, and if you listen to the record... He's throwing shots at him. He's mm. on 360. He said, See, all I'm saying is respect to those who try to follow. Sorry, I left you. Grand mm. Okay. Okay. Right? He's, he's throwing shots at them. He threw a few shots at them, and they threw some shots at him. What, what was something off of uh, God We Trusted is like I mean, a pretty good bet at being shot at him? talk about how the Nubian rain have fallen. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole shit. The whole shit Sadat said. See, when I was riding on the train, I seen these two kids talking about the Nubian rain. Talking about Max, you know, and I, I think a few times, Steal Your Hoe, they take some shots at him too. There's definitely shots going back and forth. And I remember there was an active scorecard amongst amongst people <laughs> in New York. I remember Pete Rock in my office was like, yeah, Max came with that lazy shit. And he was mm. like, he's like, Brand Nubian got a better album. 
and him and Fiel debating that in my office. That's so and, interesting. You know, and, and other people, like it was, a, it was a subject of debate. And I think a lot of people felt that Brand Newbie had a better album. One thing that I can say for sure, and, and like you was about to say something, so don't let me no, cut no, you No, no, I was just going to say that Brand Newbie had lower expectations and mm. they superseded those expectations. Max had very high expectations and he, had, and, he, and he didn't rise to the occasion. So, you know, whether, whether one album's better or the other, the perception of both groups and where they stood before they made their records greatly benefited Brand Nubian. That makes sense. One uh, area which I think uh, and guy we trust is clearly better is in terms of like overall Beats. production quality. Beats. But I mean like the mix. Like, yeah, the whole thing. Like the I whole mean, thing look, is very beautifully mixed. Like Jamar had, um, yo, Jamar was, he was driven, man. He was, he had a lot to prove because him and Max had their problems and that led a lot to the demise of Brand Nubian. Because like one thing is like X is a little passive aggressive in, in a sense. He's really good friends with Max and really good friends with Jay. But Jay was like, Max always kind of tried to sun Jay. Mm. And, you know, some people thought that Jay was the least talented of the group. I'm, I can't really comment. Um, but Jay was a very good producer. And, and um, he produced that whole brand new me now, more or less, except for Diamond, X help. But he was really driven to prove himself. And he proved himself. He, you know, he took all of the, all of the um, minutia between him and Max. And he, he used that as energy, fuel, mm -hmm. and, and he rose to the occasion. And I have to always take my hat off to Jay because he had a lot to prove and he proved himself. He shut a lot of people up. Was, and, and this is just contrasting the, the way the two albums sound, Real to Real and A Guy We Trust. Were they done in the same place, in different places? Different places. Um, a lot of real to, I mean, Brand Newbie and God We Trust was done at Chung King. I see. They mix a lot of stuff over at Chung King. Um, and, and, you know, I worked there a lot too. They liked that room and they mixed a lot of those songs there, a couple of battery, but mostly there. And Poobah was all over the place, Power Play and Green Street and Chung King and Soundtracks is where he really liked to work. I think the uniformity in the sound on Brand Newbie and Record comes from the fact they mix those records at Chung King. On Ain't No Mystery, Sadat says the record company is mad at him again. Thinking he's racist. At the at the point where they are, you know, putting together a guy we trust, how has the relationship between Brand New Begin and the label evolved? I mean, they definitely screamed on a few people. There was a couple of promo dudes they shook. You know, I think a guy named Joe Morrow got shook. They went on a promo run with him and there was no records in the store. And I think X and J got, they, you know, they handed him a new one. Where mm. dude was like, I don't want to be on the road with them no more. And they were like, shit happens. You know, and, and you know, like Brand Newbie and like, they were a little dangerous. Like we were in LA and Soundman got stupid and he got hit in the head with the mic stand one night. Like I seen, you know, those guys were... um I don't say they were gangster, but they wasn't fucking around and they took it real serious. Like, you know, like they didn't have any, like I feel like Jay in particular, he had no time for funny business. He mm -hmm. had a lot to prove and no one was going to fuck him up. Because, you know, you can fuck it up. Like I always say this, I was like, yo, I don't need any help to fuck anything up. I could fuck it up on my own, right? Right. So, so I think Jay kind of had that mentality, like don't fuck me up because I got a lot to, you know, I got a lot on my shoulders and they were serious. They wasn't playing around where, you know, Poobah, the opposite, wasn't showing up, so. Right. So 
So like you said, Jamar produced a lot of this. Uh, produced ninety percent of it. And so, but it's all credited as brand Nubian. Yeah. So is Sadat doing any production, or is it like all Jamar? I think Sadat had some records and ideas, but Jamar was was behind the MP and he was doing it all. Was there a reason that Stimulated Dummies didn't contribute production to this one? I think I, you know, Jamar. I don't think wanted anyone touching it. I see. I think Diamond I got in there because. They, they were just with Diamond, and it happened. And and I will say too, um, maybe the fact that we we're white, possibly, you Word. know. And I re, and I respect that. Jay was like, my shit's black as hell, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And fuck it, that's cool. I thought the you know his whole vibe on that record was militant, and God bless that shit was dope. So okay, a, a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about is Jay's feelings because I think a lot of those are public, right? Like he's very outspoken to this day. Jay uh, is definitely, he's going to let you know how it feels. He's an outspoken guy, and Sadat is a, a quieter type of dude. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm, I'm, I wonder if you had insight into how he was feeling about that stuff, too. I think he wrote with Jay. I gotcha. mean, X is like um, a lighthearted dude. He's like real funny. Like, he's probably making jokes about it. Like, he's really funny. You know, he's, um, you know, X just isn't, isn't as confrontational. Got you. Uh, Love Me or Leave Me Alone, I think it's like one of them, man, it's like one of them perfect songs from the era, which just like a song just comes together and it's just, wow. Um, you have any memories of how that one came together? I mean, I just, you know, I remember, I know the Booker T drum loop and it was, um, one of them songs easy to decipher. I knew every part they used in it, but I liked the way they used it. And it just was real, you know, it was one of the best songs on the album. I always really liked Steal Your Ho with yeah. the with the you know the B-Boys sample. I thought that's this that record is like always my favorite. Just the whole the Simtech and Wiley, like that song is just great. Yeah, it's an excellent one two punch for sure. Um Steady Bootlegging is interesting. That's actually to me. the Simtech and Wiley. The other one is okay. um P-Rock used the same shit. He used the same loop that they used on, on um, Still Your Ho, the same music loop. Steady Bootlegging is, is interesting to me because what this speaks to is the new industry of bootlegging that is like popped up around. So they always said that Brand Nubian sold like 350,000 records, but it was gold because it, it was the most bootleg record in all of New York City. Wow. Um, how, did, how did it feel for you to see that pop up? Like you were there at the very beginning of hip hop where you had to go to these specific places and it wasn't all over the radio. I mean, it was but- frustrating, man. It was fucking, you know, dude just taking money. It's like this, man. I had this, I had this argument with my, my even my um, nephew. He was like, yeah, I, I, I rip music, I take music, I steal music online, da 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 And I was like, yo, man, like, when you go to BitTorrents and you steal my record, you're taking food off my table. And mm-hmm. I was like, so how about if I go to your job and on payday I take half your check? How you feel right. about that? He's like, that's not going to happen. I said, but what if it happened? I was like, how, how would you stop me? Like, how would you stop a rapper from taking half your check? You know, you weigh 112 pounds. Like, you know, dude, come, <laughs> dude will come to Subway and take your money. How you feel about that? He's like, nah, but fuck the corporate systems and all that. So, you know, my, my stance is exactly the same. You're taking food off our table. Like like um, Homeboy said it, Andre 3000, right? Like mm-hmm. if I don't, you know, if, if, if I don't eat, you don't eat, right? So mm-hmm. I believe that. Like I thought that shit was fucked up. 
you're stealing from people. And I don't care about like stealing from a, a big corporation, but the trickle down is you're stealing from the artist. And that's just right. bullshit. So given all of that, let's fast forward to today. Like, what do you think about this, this streaming economy we live in now? Well, it's not thievery because people get paid, but, right. but I think that um, streaming is like, you know, it's, it's accessible. There's the positives, the negatives. It's like the rates that labels cut with streaming services are, are not artist friendly. Not so, at all. Know, it's, it's hard to generate money, man. You know, it's like it's, it's definitely puts the artist in a, at a disadvantage. And, you know, we have to remember this. Like, major labels are not the artist's friends. Like, I have never, like, I've sat on both sides of the table. So as a producer, I've rarely gotten a royalty. I've mm-hmm. produced some big records. The biggest ones I produced, I got royalties on. So Whitey Ford and Santana and 8 Mile, I continue to get royalties on. But all the rap shit I did, I never seen a royalty. Third Base, Brand Nubian, KMD, blah, blah, blah. Never Dell, nothing. I never seen a royalty on none of that shit. So who in this system would be responsible for that? Like who, and, and I don't mean name names. I mean, like what entity is responsible for... Somebody's supposed to make sure people are getting paid. Well, Who's dropping the ball? So with that stuff, a lot of those deals are crossed, right? So I don't know how much you know about the intricacies of, of like long-term record deals, but cross-collateralization means your recoup statement goes across several albums. Right. So you might have recouped on this one, but if you didn't recoup on this one, it offsets what you recouped on this one. Gotcha. So for your long-term royalty, one hit and a couple of duds, you might get a royalty on that first one. You're not getting royalty on everything else. Gotcha. Because the then you got, debt and then, gets spread And then you got the... samples. Uh-huh. And then you only got three points out of the band's 12. And mm-hmm. then the band's got to sign agreements to get you paid. I mean, I've been chasing some of that money. And I'll tell you, man, the one that bothers me the most is third base. I never got a royalty for a platinum single, Pop Goes the Weasel. But Brand Nubian, when I was working at Warner Music Group, early on, I, I, I had uh, tried to chase my royalty. And I got shut down, like, on some, none of that shit's recouped. We'll show you wow. statements on everything. And none of it was recouped. And, you know, it's um, between samples and dudes going over budget and then cross-collateralization of various records, particularly Max's 2000. There mm-hmm. is no long-term royalty. And, you know, I talked to my man, Sean C., and he told me, yo, Dante, do you get royalties? I said, yeah, you? He said, I never got a royalty on a record in my life. Wow. You know, I mean, I was like, wow. So, you know, it's, um, it's rough, man. If, you, if you're playing the short game, you want the big bag, cool. But if, you know, even back then you weren't getting a big bag. But, you know, it's like, don't ever count on your royalty. Because, look, I, I produce songs on 8 Mile. That thing sold like 5, 6 million. I get a royalty there. I get a royalty on Santana. I get a royalty on Whitey Ford sings the blues, either Whitey's. Nothing else ever gets me a royalty. So going back to Brand Nubian, and you just touched on Pooh Bye's 2000. We're not going to be able to dig too deep on those. But you got Real to Real. You got uh, In God We Trust. You got 2000. You got Everything is Everything mm-hmm. from Brand Nubian. Mm-hmm. Eventually, and this, is, this shit is unheard of to me, right? Eventually, the group gets back together. Yep. Do you have any insight on how that happened? I know exactly how it happened. So they wanted to work on joints, and I let them get in my studio, and they did a bunch of joints. The three of them? Yeah, and it was good vibes. They got together because X and Poobah was always cool. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to Sadat's solo record, Open Ball, right, got Poobah right. on it. 
bygones were bygones. They literally, I'm, I think they knew there was a check out there for them. That makes um, sense too. They put their heads together to try and go get that check. Exercising Aloud didn't work. Brand Nubian wasn't on election no more. Poobah wasn't going to be on election no more. I, um, they came to me. They said, yo, we want to try and do this. You want to be involved? I helped them put a couple of songs together. I took it around me and Jeff Dixon, Ludacris' manager, Poobah's cousin. We took it to Atlantic. They passed. We took it to Payday. They wanted to do it. But Brand Nubian was like kind of blew them off. And then they took it to Jay because I kind of was like, look, guys, I got a lot of shit I'm doing and like, good luck. Like, you know, let me know what happens. They took it to Drew Dixon and she signed him. I see. Who was Drew Dixon with? Uh, Arista J Records. Okay. I, I can't remember if it was Arista or Jay. I think it was Arista. And you know Drew, who Drew is. She's the, you know, the woman that had the situation with Russell, with Russell Simmons. I um, see. Okay. And she's good people. Like, she's our, she's our homegirl. We know her forever. And she signed him, and she was always a big fan. That's how it came together. And, and that record as well was not a monstrous hit. They also did not work with big producers and always a reluctance to work with producers. They always want to do it themselves, mm. and that doesn't always work. Right. So is this safe to say, in terms of how you think about Brand New being in your career, was that like your, that's your first success on, in a major label system? It is. And a record I was very involved in. I was in the trenches in that, in that one. Um, and on the first Poobah record and Brand Nubian, to lesser extent in God We Trust because um, Jamar didn't want any interference and I trusted him. I was like, yo, he got his vision. Let him do his, do his thing. Kind of like how Pete Rock made his record. Pete Rock, I mean, I was around with the Pete Rock record, but Pete, you know, Pete had a vision. And I, Jamar, in a similar way, had a singular vision. You know, I'm always connected to those records because I got shout outs on songs and me and Max were known to hang out and run around. And I hung out with Brand Nubians a lot in a way I didn't always hang out with a lot of my other groups. I hung out with Buster and I hung out with Brand Nubian a bunch. So so when you think about your career and them being the first success, like, who do you think is the second? Like, where, where do you go from here in telling your story? I mean, that's, that's a good question. I mean, Pete Rock was the next one to put numbers on the board. At Electra, so I would say probably Pete Rock, but but I consider KMD a success in its own way, and Leaders of the New School, and then Third Base, which was a hit record, but but um, that was my success as a producer, not as an A and R guy. Mm-hmm. So who did you sign next after Brand Nubian? I want to say I signed Leaders of the New School. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Leaders of the New School, and Damn. they um they they um they were around Brand Nubian a lot. And it's, it's interesting, too, to think about because, you you know, you signed a group that makes an album and then breaks up. And then... Yo, every group <laughs> broke up. Their bass broke up. Brand Nubian broke up. Leaders broke up. Like, I was the breakup master. <laughs> Buster said that to me, too. He's like, yo, man, how, why everything you touch breaks up? I was like, I don't know, man. Beyond me. And P-Rock and C.L. Smooth break up eventually, too. Eventually, yeah. I mean, everything runs the course in due time, but it's just funny to think about Brand New being in Leaders specifically because yeah, they yeah. both broke up, like, very kind of early on in the, in yeah. the, in the, in the run. You I know? mean, that Leaders' second record was, man, you know, that was, that was one of the, like, darkest moments of my A&R career. Just the bullshit I went through it was just so convoluted and became so intricate at times. It was... um. Man, working with leaders was was always 
like, look, brand new being could be difficult, but leaders was like damn near impossible. Mm. Well, then that's where we will pick it up next time. I think that's an excellent segue into our next conversation. We will chat about the leaders because I want to hear all of these stories. Yeah, let's do it. Stony.